Keep She Shatters and She Burns fans, this is Hannah Austin, your host for the She Burns podcast. I'm excited to announce that my first book, Hello Head, Meet Heart, is now out on Amazon. For more tips, tricks, and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out, visit me on Amazon at Hello Head, Meet Heart. Happy reading! Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go-to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self-care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. Hello, everyone. I'm Hannah Austin, and this is the She Burns Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Diane Spendler. Diane is the gentle founder of Gentle Reprocessing Resources. With over 30 years of experience in clinics, agencies, and private practice, Diane created Gentle Reprocessing to prompt rapid emotional relief for her clients in the short term and to empower them for the long term. Diane has been teaching gentle reprocessing and workshops at venues throughout New England including Boston University since 2001. She has also presented her work at numerous international and national conferences and has maintained a private practice in central Massachusetts for the last 20 years. When Diane is not teaching or working with clients, she enjoys spending time with her six grandkids and traveling. Many of her travels support her ongoing spiritual journey. Welcome, Diane. I am so excited that you are here with me today. Hannah, I'm so excited that you're doing this. I mean, everything, because last time we talked, you were just starting this business, and now it's like a real thing. Thank you. It's been exciting, but it's quite a journey, as you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But fun. Definitely. So let's start here for our listeners. Can you start with explaining what gentle reprocessing is? All right. Let me give you a little bit of background on that, because it's not just a simple answer. I've been a psychotherapist for over 30 years, and when I first started seeing clients, I noticed there wasn't really any way to help them. I could talk to them. I could be a sounding board for them, but they didn't seem to necessarily get better very fast, and that was um, frustrating. So I went looking for a way to help them get better quickly, and I figured I'd just find a process, and then I'd learn it, and then I would do it. Well, unfortunately, I couldn't find anything. So I, meanwhile, I'd learned a bunch of processes and put them all together, and that became general reprocessing. General reprocessing is made up of two different pieces. One I, I made particularly for kids, but you can use it with adults, and that's called external general reprocessing. External uses drawing and storytelling to help people get into their subconscious and let go of trauma. Then the internal general reprocessing uses metaphors to help them do the same thing, to get into the subconscious, to talk to the subconscious and let go of their traumas. And people let go of their traumas fairly quickly through this process. Most of my clients I have for maybe four to six months, you know, really depending on how deep their traumas are, how how often they happen, that sort of thing. So that's what general reprocessing is about. It's helping people with their traumas. That's fascinating. I love that it's there's two parts to the piece. I mean, you said you started it with for kids and then also it sounds like evolved it for adults. What led you to this career? 
as a little kid, you don't say, I'm going to start a company called General Reprocessing and work with people with trauma. What actually got you to this industry? Well, you talk about burnout. When I was in my early 30s, I had three young kids. Two were just starting school and one was not in school yet. We just built a house. I ended up getting really sick from the fumes of the house because it was a really airtight house. Nobody knew what was wrong. And basically, everybody chalked it up to there's something mentally wrong with this person. And I knew it was something physical. I knew it wasn't something mental, but I couldn't get anybody to really listen to me. So not that people don't always listen to women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. But, But anyway, so they sent me to a therapist. I'd never seen a therapist before. And you know how sometimes when you're sitting with somebody, you're kind of up here listening to the conversation that's happening between you and that person? Yes, yeah. That's what I was doing with this therapist. Like I'm answering his questions like a good little doobie. But meanwhile, I'm watching and I'm going, man, I could do this job and I could do it so much better than he's doing it. (laughs) I love those moments. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me a while to feel better because nobody knew what it was. It turned out, it turned out to be allergies. Wow. I was allergic to pretty much the world. I was allergic to food. I was allergic to the environment, um, everything. But good for you listening to your inner voice and something saying there's something wrong with me physically. And I think as women, we know intrinsically if it's, you know, mentally a challenge or if it's physically, and I love that you listened to it and kept pushing through. Well, uh, you know, one of the questions you'd, you'd ask me ahead of time was, what would I say that people could do to help with burnout? And listening to your gut, you know, what you really believe about yourself and not necessarily listening to everybody else is probably the best thing you can do for not getting burned out because other people cause our burnout. Yeah. And if we join that bandwagon, we just add to the burnout. Absolutely. So it sounds like your your intuitive nature led you to, and this experience that you had led you to, gosh, I could do that as a career. Since COVID, what have you been seeing in the world with clients in respect to symptoms of exhaustion, depletion, anxiety, depression? Like, have you seen an increase since COVID phase one, phase two, and now phase three? Well, I think that one of the things we have to realize is fear is a huge stressor. And now most people have fear in their lives. You know, they're afraid of spiders or they're afraid of snakes or they're afraid they're going to lose their job. You know, just normal everyday stuff. But we have been inundated with being fearful by being confused by so many narratives thrown at us and people getting sick, people we know getting sick and dying. You know, so not knowing how serious it is and and some people taking it way over one side and other people taking it way the other side and fighting with each other and big divides. So you've, you've got the fear, you've got people fighting with each other, thinking that the other person is hurting them because they're not doing what they think they should and all that. So that adds to the stress of everybody. And that adds to the anxiety that people are feeling. Now, if you on top of that or underneath that realize that people Every person I, on, on this planet has some kind of trauma. Even if they had the best upbringing in the world, they have some kind of trauma. And if you have a lot of trauma, you've got, in medical terms, they call it a viral load. 
but you sort of have this viral load of trauma. So you put on top of that, the fear, the confusion, fighting with your neighbors that you never fought with, fighting with family, this divide. It's really been hard on people. So a lot of, especially young people have been hit with tremendous anxiety. You know, they're, they're having to wear masks at school. They can't see their friends. They're, they're being isolated. That's the other thing. The isolation has been really bad for mental health. People are, are especially teenagers, are committing suicide a lot. There's been, the lockdowns have caused a lot of mental issues with people that are causing them to basically fall apart. We, we used to call it a nervous breakdown. I yeah. like that term because it's, it describes it so well. <laughs> Some people now don't want to leave their homes after the lockdowns. They're afraid that, you know, they're afraid of everything. They're afraid if they go out, they're going to catch it. Something bad is going to happen. We've got all these agoraphobias, phobics that are stuck in their homes and they don't want to leave. We've got teenagers that are afraid of each other that don't want to get together. And this is the time where they're learning to get along with people and be with people. And then you've got the little ones that are just totally confused. Yes. And they're having a really tough time. I mean, it's terrible to have kindergarten and first graders afraid of the world. It really is. And I think that from a parent standpoint, I'm sure you have a ton of parents coming and saying, I need help myself. But I also need help with, you know, parenting. Am I creating more trauma with my anxiety and then passing it around and on to my kids? So how have you dealt with that, Diane? Are you basically treating the individual people or are you actually treating the family unit now? Or or what does that look like for you in your practice? Well, I have a degree in family therapy, but what I basically have found is if I treat the parents, they act with their children the way they need to act, then that solves the problem a lot better than having the kids come in. Because if you have the kids in with the family therapy, a lot of times they're targeted as as a problem because they're the ones acting out, Mm -hmm. but they're not really the problem. They're, they're just the canary in mine that are saying there's a problem here and it needs to be solved. So I prefer to work with parents, but basically what I say to them is stop watching television. Yes. Stop watching, listening to the news Anything you need to know, you'll find out via somebody. I found that as soon as people stop listening to the news, the fear and the anxiety goes down quite a bit. That's a great idea. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people, especially in the healthcare industry, women and and practitioners in general, you're immersed in it eight to 10 hours a day. And then you're coming home watching, you know, hopefully CNN, Fox, whatever it is that people are watching. And then it's just, it never stops. It's this narrative that keeps going in your head about you're going to die. You should be afraid, not only of politics, but now your actual physical environment and life. Absolutely. it, It exacerbates the fear. And then I feel like kids pick up on that. You know, kids aren't dumb. They can feel it, whether it's emotionally or how their parents are treating them or the fact that they're having more screen time, right? I think a lot of parents are just so tired um, from working and then parenting their kids because they haven't been able to go to daycare or school that they frankly say to the kids, hey, more time for iPad tonight or more time in front of Netflix because it's just kind of a time where they all stop talking and it's just a brain relax when it's really just exacerbating the brain more. And the kids pick up, even if the TV is just on and they're talking, because if you listen to the voices on TV, they're making it sound really scary. Yes. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's like there's like uh, vampires around and, and you're going to be attacked. And, right. You know, and, and I mean, they've done this forever, even with weather. We were supposed to get a hurricane this weekend and it was nothing, you know. Yeah. But they said, oh, you know, the trees are going to come down and we're going to lose power for, for weeks. And, yeah. it, you know, it, and I was listening to that. And I was getting like nervous. I mean, right. I did stuff to make sure that my house was safe. Right. And it was barely a rainstorm. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, of course, that's what the news does, right? Their their job is to hype it up and obviously tell the truth. But I think sometimes it's always better. It's hard in this situation to over-prepare versus under-prepare. You certainly right. want to keep yourself safe and wear masks and wash your hands and, and follow the CDC guidelines. But you also don't want to well, be... The CDC not, guidelines keep changing. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. And, that, yeah. and that's a lot of confusion. And I think that adds to the fear yeah. is because nobody seems to know what they're talking about. Exactly. And, but I think for for basically just the best thing I say to clients right away is stop listening to the news. That's I haven't really listened to the news since, since the Vietnam War because <laughs> I wasn't finding it particularly useful. Yeah. No, I think I, I've heard that a couple of times and I did the same thing when I was working in healthcare. And then, like I said, would come home and watch the news. It would just, it wouldn't stop. I wouldn't have a break in the brain. Speaking of the brain, let's talk a little bit about, you know, trauma and how it actually affects people's brains. Because I think a lot of people see the big trauma as a T word, right? Oh my gosh, I've had PTSD or I've had trauma or some people, you know, misinterpret what is stress versus burnout? What is trauma? Can you talk a little bit about what does trauma actually do to our brain and cause, you know, symptoms or, or changes? Okay. So if trauma happens before like five or seven years old, it hits little kids a lot differently than it hits kids older than that and, and adults, because they don't have anything to pin the trauma on. Say you go to the beach and it's a beautiful day at the beach You're with your friends and everything goes well. And 10 years later, I say, hey, tell me about that day at the beach. And you say, yeah, I think we went and this was the beach, I think. And maybe these people were there, but maybe not. You don't remember it all that much. Right. Okay. But say you go to the beach and you almost drowned, then it's a trauma. Right. And you remember everything that happened that day. You remember what you had for lunch. You remember how it felt to be going under the waves and not being able to get out and not being able to breathe. You may remember that you, you've decided you're going to die anyway. And then you wake up on the beach with a bunch of people around you and they're you just threw up a bunch of seawater because the lifeguard pulled you out and resuscitated you. Mm -hmm. So, but you remember all of it, even though the outcome was good, right? Right. So what happens in the brain? The first beach day goes into your brain to the center of your brain, literally. And your brain goes, oh, beach day. I know that. And it sends it directly to the front of your brain, which is your frontal cortex. And I call it your file cabinet. It's one of the things that frontal cortex does. And at that point, it just sort of settles down. And there's not a lot of emotion involved in it. It's the memory. Everything we've ever done is put there. But when you almost drowned, it goes to the center of your brain. And your brain goes, oh, my gosh, I don't know what this is. We don't know where, where to, which file to put it in. Right. And it sends it to the back of your brain, which sometimes you may hear people say, oh, I just put it on the back burner. 
Right. Literally, the back of your brain is your reptilian brain, your primitive brain. And it doesn't have a future or a past. It only has a present. So that trauma gets put in the back of your brain waiting for you to process it. But life is so quick these days that you get a lot of those traumas put in the back of your brain over and over and over again. And young kids tend to get more because they don't have that past file system mm. to put things in. So something small can happen to a young kid. You know, somebody can yell at them. And if they're in a house that nobody yells, that's like, oh, my God, you know, what? I don't know what to do with this. And that becomes a trauma for them. So people yelling becomes a trauma for them, especially if they're a sensitive kid. Right. But as you get older, you have more file cabinets to put things in. But as soon as a trauma hits, a trauma basically might hit you differently than it hits me. So say we're both in the same car accident, but you've been in a car accident a year ago where you were badly hurt. Mm -hmm. So car accident to you means almost death. Car accident to me means inconvenience. So you get really upset after the car accident. And I'm like, well, let's finish shopping. You know? Right, so, exactly. <laughs> so different people get hit differently. And you have that kind of collection in the back of your head. You know, if you go to a megaplex theater, if you walk into a romance, for instance, you feel kind of nostalgic. You might feel some love in your heart, depending on what's going on in the romance. But, you know, it's kind of warm and fuzzy. And you might walk into, say, a, a sci-fi movie. Oh, my God, it's going really quickly. And you have to keep up with what's what. And, you know, it's, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. And then if you went into, say, uh, a mystery, it's like your brain is working and it's interesting. Right. So each movie has its own set of players and also emotions. Well, what's in the back of your brain is like a movie for every one of those uh, traumas that you're gathering, except the difference is it's running 24-7 and you are the star. Wow. A lot of energy is going in to keeping those in the back of your brain away from the rest of you so that you can grow up and you know do what you want to do. But if you have too much sort of viral mass, if you will, of all of these movies, all of a sudden one day something comes up like COVID and all the fear, or you get in that car accident we talked about, and all of a sudden you lose it. You can't, ha you can't handle it anymore. And all these movies come pouring out. Those are called flashbacks. Mm -hmm. You feel like you were there almost drowning or being in that car accident where you almost got killed. Not you personally. Right. I don't want to put anything on you. But. Yeah. And at that point, that's usually when people come to therapy. It's because they have all that. When the general processing process technique helps clear the back burner clear all those movies, shut the movies down. So you're not busy trying to keep them at bay. Once that's all cleaned up, then things like even the last year and a half with COVID is doable. Mm -hmm. You have more bandwidth. Yeah. I love the analogy of the movies and, and the overload of movies or replaying those. It gives me a real 
kind of depiction of what you're talking about trauma. I think a lot of people misinterpret that, you know, you have to have a big car accident or you have to have a huge death in your life, or you have to be a Vietnam vet or have been through something horrendous to have trauma in your life. And I'm hearing more and more about trauma coming up and the fact that this is, you know, COVID or the fear of dying or the fear of just life in general, right? We're afraid to live and go outside of our house. Like you talked about, is kind of stirring things up again. So when you're in a constant state of trauma, whether it's small, small car accident or a big car accident, and that movie keeps happening or movie after movie keeps getting filed away or or in the back of the mind, how do you bring those forward? You've talked a little bit about in order to get through the trauma, you have to break through. What does a breakthrough actually look like? In your office, obviously it would mean therapy, but what specifically um, if you go to therapy, what kind of care are you going to get? What actually happens in that office? Well, I can only tell you what happens in my office. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in your office? Yes. But okay, so there so trauma is made up of four things. One is the event, let's say almost drowned. Right. Two and three are sort of like twins together because they they come together. So those are the feelings and where you put those in your body. So with the drowning, you might put terror in your lungs because you can't breathe. You might put anger in your fist because you're fighting the waves. Your stomach might feel nauseous. So all of this, these layers of feelings and where they are in your body, that's two and three. And then the last most um, debilitating thing is the negative beliefs you start to build about yourself. Mm. So, you, so as with the drowning, it might be the world's unsafe. I better stay out of the water. So maybe you keep, not only do you keep yourself out of the water, but if you have children, you don't let them swim either. So not teaching them how to swim actually makes it more dangerous if they're near water ever, because if they fall in, they don't know how to swim. Yeah. So, you know, it it kind of works against you. And it, it could also mean that, you know, I'm a bad person because I almost drowned. And um, some people don't have that much luck and get pulled out. So then you feel guilty. And I mean, there's all this stuff that happens. So the process that I use basically clears the emotions and the body sensations. And once they're neutral, I get them to a place where, you know, I have clients go through all those, put them in a, like a river. So they're rushing away from them because the way our subconscious mind works is if you just say, well, just get rid of that fear. Right. Your, your subconscious mind says, huh? You know, I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that sounds great. How do I do that? <laughs> but because your subconscious mind speaks in symbols. So when you use a metaphor that's a symbol, and when you say to the subconscious mind, just take the fear, put it in the river, let it go away from you. Mm. Then your subconscious mind goes, oh, I can do that. So it does. It, it lets it leave. Wow. And once that, that feeling is left, they go to the next feeling, next feeling, next feeling. And then it becomes neutral. Once it's neutral, you have a clean slate to write some new positive beliefs on. So the positive beliefs may be more like, oh, I was so lucky that I you know, made it through this. And it, it taught me next time I'm, if I get pulled under, I'm going to go on the shore yeah. and try to fight it. You know, I mean, it really may help you to see the world from a very positive belief. And that those are part of the process I use is to put those positive beliefs in. And 
It's also, I use those positive beliefs to build up people's sense of self. So that's kind of the basis of general reprocessing in my office. Yeah. So I'll talk to people for maybe 20 minutes, see how things are going, find what I call a target, which is the event, clear that target. And most people report feeling tired afterwards because getting rid of those movies is a lot of work. I think it probably takes, it would probably take some some forms of therapy months to do the same thing we would do in a, an hour. So in that case, they're really tired. I love what you said about reprogramming the narrative and almost clearing it out and then reprocessing and, and laying some positive affirmations on there. I'm safe. I was lucky to not drown. I'm going to go swimming again and try it again. I mean, positive narratives that almost wash away, like you said, in the river of fear. I love that, Diane. If you don't have all of those fears or all all of those traumas, you have a lot more energy because it takes a lot of energy to keep it in the back of your head. But and like to run a movie, whether there's somebody in the theater or not, it takes energy for that theater to run the movie. It takes energy to keep it running Mm 24-7. So once that movie is shut down, that gives you more energy for today. And I think that's, I mean, when speaking about burnout, I can imagine, okay, I'm a mom working at home, or I'm a mom who's going in half time to the office and then also doing homeschooling for my kids. And oh, wait, I'm putting dinner on the table. And oh, wait, I'm trying to have some sort of social life and maintain friendships. And then you just have this trauma keep happening and this piling in the back of your brain. It's almost like a heaviness and a weariness of I'm drowning. Do you hear that a lot? Okay. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people don't even realize why. Mm-hmm. Just even understanding why is such a relief. Say you're born with a thousand units of energy, and every time you have a trauma, a few trauma, a few units of those go to keeping the trauma running in the back of your head. Yeah. Well, sometimes by the time you're say in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you stop your thousand units and you have nothing. And I think that's a lot of the cause of burnout is that you don't have anything to give. You're done. When you actually process the trauma, a lot of your energy comes back to you. And then your problem with burnout is a lot less because you have more energy to deal with it. It's that sense of depletion, exhaustion, all of the things that people say in general about burnout, exactly what you're saying is you just don't have the energy because you're trying to process all of these negative thoughts. And then it starts getting into that, I'm worthless, I'm not good at my job, I'm not a good mom, I'm burned out, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do, I can't get out of my situation. What would you say to those people or women about getting out? I mean, if you they can't afford therapy or they think, gosh, um, cognitive or general reprocessing. I'm not there yet. I can't do that. Therapy is kind of a bad T word, right? It doesn't work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of therapy is, is we call it talk therapy. It gives you a friend to talk to that may give you some insight or you may get some aha moments. But all of that therapy is taking place in your conscious mind. The, The trauma is in your unconscious mind. And that's why it's really important to go there and clear clear it out. So your question as to what to tell somebody to do, one thing I think people can start listening to their gut. People have three brains, okay? You have your brain, which is your logical brain. Your heart is your emotional brain. Your stomach, your gut is your intuition. 
Now, when all three brains agree on something, the decision is easy. If you have two out of three agree, it's not quite as easy, but it's better. But what we usually do is we listen to our logical brain and our gut in our gut and our heart is going, what about us? What about us? Yes. And then you end up with panic attacks yes. because your, your body wants to be listened to so badly. Mm-hmm. And when you ignore and ignore and ignore, you know, it's like, say you eat a really big meal, but the food is so good. You just keep eating it anyway until you're so <laughs> stuffed that you throw it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally in your body, you know, four hot dogs ago said, no, that's enough. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what happens is when we don't listen to our body. So one day your body, you have a small panic attack and you think you're going to die. You call the hospital, you go to the emergency room, you, you know, call everybody, you know, saying I'm gonna, I'm dying. I think I'm having a heart attack. Cause it really feels like that. Yeah. And they finally check you out and they say, no, no, you're just having a panic attack. Now, there are some meds you can take for panic attacks, but they actually don't work all that well. Mm -hmm. But when you start to listen to your body, your panic attacks will go away all all by themselves. I tell people with panic attacks, there there are two things they can do. One, they can write um, an index card and write exactly what the panic attacks look like. So my mouth starts to get dry. Then I start to get shaky. Then my heart palpitates. And everybody has a, a different group of symptoms that they have. But if you write your symptoms down, they happen over and over again. So as soon as you start to have a panic attack, you pull out your card and you start reading. Oh, yeah. Mouth's already been dry. I'm, I'm at this section now. And when you put it that way in your head, you can't be thinking about feeling and have it still, the feeling still be as strong. You have to go through all of them, but it's not as strong. The other thing you can do is get outside and run or do jumping jacks or do something really physical. Now, everybody can't do that. I get that. But again, the body, as long as the body's doing something really physical, it can't be having the physical tantrum of a panic attack. Right. So those are two good, good ways of stopping that in its tracks. But the best thing you can do is start to listen to your body, because when you start to actually pay attention to that trauma that you've been trying not to think about or start to write in a journal about it or talk to a friend, at that point, your body knows that you are now listening. Yes. And it stops having panic attacks. When I start working with people, most people come in with panic attacks because that's what gets them through the door. But as soon as they start listening to their bodies, the panic attacks are the first thing to go. And I'll say, so when's the last time you had a panic attack? And they were having them two or three times a day. They go, oh, gee, I don't really remember. Wow. The two things that you said right there, I'm literally taking notes right now because this is, I'm like on the edge of my seat. I love the idea of the index card where you write down your symptoms and you're looking at the pattern. It Would you say that you're almost, I don't want to say tricking your brain in a way, but basically teaching your brain, I am, or your gut, your heart, your gut, and your brain, right? So the all three are aligned, t- t- teaching them to say, I am listening. I am watching. I am acknowledging you. It's almost acknowledging like this is happening. I'm taking you seriously instead of pushing yeah. the accelerator past the stop sign. I mean, that seems exactly. like a trick. Yeah. Okay. I love exactly. that. I love that. Exactly. 
Now, the other thing that you can start to do is go with the flow. I'm, I'm still on your question on yeah. what to do if you're not going to go to therapy. Most people don't recognize what the flow looks like, but if you think about it, there are times when you can stand and do your dishes and it goes very smoothly, or maybe you, you pay your bills and it goes really smoothly. And there's other times when, you know, if you say, I need to get these dishes done before I go to bed and you don't really want to, and it goes not smoothly at all, it feels like you're pushing an envelope and you're not happy with yourself yeah. or you're trying to get the bills done. And instead of taking an hour, it takes three hours because you keep making mistakes in your checkbook, you know, that sort of thing. When you're going with the flow, it feels right. Mm -hmm. And it might be you're going home from work and you decide to take a longer route home just because, you know, there's going to be some flowers over there because they're always out this time you're in that spot, you know, that's going with the flow or you're feeling tired and it's only six o'clock at night, go to bed mm -hmm. yeah. because you're tired. And maybe you'll wake up halfway through the night. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I tell people, have a really boring book at your bedside. <laughs> read it. Yeah. yeah, read the boring book mm -hmm. and then you'll get sleepy and go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Going with the flow makes such a difference. And I think learning that has helped me deal with, with all kinds of stuff because you know, like everybody else's life, mine isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things don't go exactly the way you want them to go. And why do you think going with the flow works? Or what does that do to your brain chemistry? Like, what does that do? Okay. So you have what's called the vagus nerve that goes mm -hmm. down your back. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the vagus nerve, when it gets excited, it makes you feel anxious and like you're crawling out of your skin. Okay. When you go with the flow, it calms the vagus nerve down. Got it. You know, and really saying to yourself, what do I feel like doing now? You might have a list of everything you want to get done. Mm -hmm. What I suggest to people is they do what I call a mind dump. They put all the stuff they want to get done and it can go on and on in pages. And then each day they look at their mind dump and they pick, you know, five of them and they mm -hmm. put them on a different page. Now they might not get through all five and that's okay. But that helps them go with the flow more because they're not trying to get everything done in their heads at once, which also makes you anxious. Do you see all the places we make ourselves anxious? Yeah, it seems like we're almost like contributing to the anxiety. It's like we're right. trying not to and we're doing it probably subconsciously, but it's almost like we're trying to stuff so much information in our heads that it's like swirling the trauma around instead of actually clearing it out, I think is what you're saying. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that people, I feel, add to anxiety is people say, just breathe, just breathe. And I say, breathe three times and then forget about it. Because if you start breathing more than that, you know, deep breath in, deep breath out, deep breath, you know, whether, however you breathe, we'll have different ways of doing it. But when they just do it three times, it calms them down. But if they do it more than three times, they're starting to worry about whether they're doing it right. <laughs> Am I meditating correctly? Am I doing this the right way? And they start judging themselves and then you're back on the trauma again. Yeah, exactly. So even with meditation, do it for five minutes and just sit quietly for five minutes and listen to what's going on around you. You know, give your, your brain something to pin itself on. That will bring the vagus nerve into quiet too. But don't say you're going to do that for 20 minutes because you spend most of the 20 minutes wondering if 20 minutes is up yet. Exactly. 
Oh, Diane, this is, I know this seems so probably easy for you because you do this every day, but I love what you said about the index card, listening to your body, writing in a journal. I've heard that before. I love the brain dump. So you're actually getting some of that garbage out of your head and onto a page. I think these are things that our, our listeners can really utilize and put into practice and they don't seem overwhelming. I think that's the piece is, you know, we're trying to explain and, and share with women on how to burn bright and not burn out but we yeah. wanted to make it less overwhelming. You can't overwhelm an overwhelmed person. So I love these tips. Thank you so much. And, and please don't try to do them all at once. Yeah, <laughs> right. Don't try to multitask your way out of burnout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good. A lot of heavy stuff today. The next part of my podcast is kind of my favorite part. Here's where I get to ask you some fun and food for thought questions. So tell me when you're ready. Go for it. Okay. If I told you that you could be seven years old for a day with no responsibilities or worries, what would you spend your day doing? Oh, I go out in the woods and play with all my imaginary people. Yeah. Which is what I used to do when I was seven. So that was... Well, and the reason why I ask is, and you get this because you're a therapist, is I think we as women and people in general right now, there's just not that playfulness anymore. And I think it's just that we focus and perseverate on the just responsibility on our shoulders that we forget that just because there's things going on in life that could be fearful, right? They are fearful things. We're not going to just acknowledge that, but it's also what, what could we do? And could we get it back into that creative space in our brain or that playful space? Cause I think that also helps with release trauma and also, you know, burning bright. Well, the other thing that's helpful when you're really afraid of something is to face that fear. And it doesn't mean that you're not afraid. It just means that you're willing to go to the fear place. So I'm afraid of heights. So I went parachuting, you know, jumping out of a plane with, yeah. with somebody else, you know. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah. yeah, but that was really helpful because it made me feel less afraid of, of heights. Yeah. But, the, oh, there's another, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there's another thing you can do for anxiety. And this, is, this actually resets your brain. It's really easy. So I'm going to have you do it with me. Oh, okay. You're just going to look, you can open your eyes. Okay. Look, look from side to side. Perfect. Three times. Okay. Now I want you to think of something that bothers you. Okay. You know, try to, try to really kind of rev it up inside of you as much as possible. Oh, gosh. Okay. This is easy because I uh, seem to rev up pretty easily. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. So now do that again. Left and right with the eyes. Okay. Yep. Just while you're thinking. Okay. And does it feel any better? I think it did. I think I was thinking a little bit about why does it bother me so much and focus on moving my eyes instead. It kind of shifted my perspective. Hopefully that was the point. Okay. So so your brain is is has two two sides. One is your creative side and emotional side. And the other side is your logical side. Most of the time we're on one side or the other. So when we're having a panic attack, we're on the emotional side and the logical side isn't getting into it at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because we're only on that side, right? Look back and forth. It actually resets the brain. So both sides are working at the same time and your logical side gets to say, you're not dying. It's not that big of a deal. 
You're yeah. not dying. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because when I was thinking about it, I was like, I hope I'm following directions right. And it kind of shifted, shifted. Yeah, you went to your word. logical side. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I passed. You would say yeah. I passed the test. <laughs> but that's a good exercise. I hope our listeners are doing that. You know, hopefully at the end of the podcast, they're writing down some notes and taking taking perspective and seeing if these work. That's a great tip. Thanks, Diane. Okay, so now that we're shifting a little bit to a more reflective question, I know you're familiar with this question, but I'm going to ask it because I didn't get to hear your answer. Please answer the following statement with the first response that comes to you, right? So we're going to go based on your directions. If you really knew me, you would know that I. Hmm. If you really knew me, you would know that I really care. I can feel that. I love that answer. Obviously, it's very honest and vulnerable, which is who who you are as a person to the core. But I can hear the love and support that you have for your patients when you're talking a lot about healing people and giving back in general. We didn't talk a lot about your book, so I'm hoping to have you on phase two for season two for the podcast. But what you're doing in the world is so important. And listening to you, Diane and I were on a book doula class, which is how we met and hearing about the book that you're putting out into the world, talking about um, gentle reprocessing, trying to share with the world what trauma is and different ways to overcome it. It's just really important. And the concepts that you're talking about align so well with our She Shatters mission to help people and women in general use tools to be able to dig deeper within themselves, process their feelings, and ultimately work through burnout. I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today. The work you're doing in this world is incredible. And I'm so glad that you were able to be with us today and share with us this powerful effects that these tips, tricks, and tools can have on the world. So thank you. Back at you, Hannah, because without you doing this, nobody would hear what I have to say except my individual clients. (laughs) Well, we look forward to your book. We will put uh, your information in the chat and in the notes for the podcast. And, you know, hearing you talk about your work with your clients reminds me of how impactful it can be when new resources are shared with us. Often we don't know what the options and resources are available in the world and our community. And it's powerful to know that we have educators and therapists like you in our lives to help pave the way for women to heal. As women, we are all searching for what lights us up. And together, we can learn how to burn bright and not burn out. To our listeners, for more information on Gentle Reprocessing and Diane, please visit her website at www.gentlereprocessing.com. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at sheshatters.com or on Instagram at sheshattersllc.